Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 88. If you're using the Pew Bibles underneath your chair, it's found on page 494. I want to thank everyone that came out to Hope Church today. I especially want to thank Will, who gave me this opportunity to preach. Um, I was talking to him earlier this week, and he was asking how the sermon was going. And I started mentioning Simon and Garfunkel and Kurt Vonnegut, and I could see terror glaze over his eyes. And he's probably thinking, why in the world am I letting this intern preach for you guys? Hopefully you're not too distracted by these illustrations today. And to be honest, I would love for us to just jump right into the text and begin our study. So this is Psalm 88, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep, in, the re in your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your ways. You've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in abandon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we know that suffering can be so great, but we know ultimately that our suffering is answered in the Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray for anyone here today that may be suffering with pain or turmoil, that they know that they can find their answer ultimately only in your word. I pray that you will use me, use my words, that you would speak through me, and it would not be any answer I would give, but ultimately only in your word and what you have to say. I pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. It's not too often that Kurt Vonnegut is mentioned in church. If you have read him at all, you probably understand why. This was a man known for writing dark comedies, extremely satirical novels, and unnaturally macabre stories. Known for his sarcastic attitude, Vonnegut jokingly wanted to sue a tobacco company for false advertisement because cigarettes didn't end up killing him. Throughout his career, Kurt made several best-selling novels that we still read today including Slaughterhouse-Five, Cat's Cradle, and Breakfast of Champions. But there's a lesser-known novel of his named Sirens of Titan 
And in this story, we see the main character, Malachi, adventure throughout our solar system. Mars, Mercury, and eventually Saturn's moon, Titan. Within this adventure, Malachi returns to Earth and he finds a new religion has been founded named the Church of God, the Utterly Indifferent. There are two very simple rules to be a member within this church. Number one, you just have to accept that you can do nothing good or bad to have God be interested in you. Number two, attribute nothing in your life to luck or fate from God and accept that all happens by chance. This fake religion in the 50s may seem prophetic to you because those laws seem to be the very mantras of today's society. In fact, some of you here may even wish that this was a real religion. If you were honest today, you could see that Vonnegut struck a chord with many people's problems right now. Does God listen to you? Or I'd be willing to up the ante of that question. Does God hate you. Your days seem darker and darker. You feel as if darkness is your only friend. Your life feels harder being a Christian rather than just following the world. And when you cry to God for help, the only answer you hear is silence. For some here today, being a Christian was not your best life now, but you think your life is even worse. And the more you look at life, all you can say is hopeless. There may be some in here today that have already checked out. Your life is fine. You think you're doing okay right now. Better than fine. It's great. So you turned your phone on. You're looking at your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, because you can't even say you're depressed right now. There may be others here that have never been a Christian, but you really sympathize with our psalm today. Your life is filled with ups and downs. You cannot make sense of pain and suffering around you. You may wonder today if life is even worth living anymore. The truth is that the Bible speaks into every area of life, whether good or bad. The suffering we face today truly does find an answer, even in Psalm 88. In this bleak psalm, we find an answer to our suffering. Whether you're a Christian or not, going through depression or not, Psalm 88 speaks to you. Darkness does not discriminate with your age, with your belief, or even with what time you live in. And that is why we can read Psalm 88 today. First, let's look at the psalm. Let's ultimately look at our response to suffering. Um, the psalms, the whole book can often be broken up into several different categories. We see some psalms where the author seems to be praising God for everything, and he's just so happy to be alive. There are the other psalms where we see that bad things are happening, but the writer knows that God is going to come through for him. There are other psalms where it seems like everything's falling apart, life is out to get him, and the psalmist doesn't feel like God is answering him. But then we come to Psalm 88. We see the writer goes through great suffering. Read with me in verse 3 right now. For my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man, or I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. 
for they are cut off from your hand. But then the psalmist seems to up the ante and strengthen his argument because the next verse he says, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You make me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim with sorrow. For the author, it's not just that God isn't listening to him, but he feels as if God is out to get him. If you read those verses, it's not a passive working of God, but these are active verbs that you have caused me to be in the pit, that you overwhelm me with your waves, and that you have caused my companions to shun me. You may very naturally look at this cry and you see yourself in the psalmist's shoes. You ask yourself, why would God do that to me? You wonder why your he took your loved one from you, why you lost your job in financial crisis, or why she cheated on you. Psalm 88 naturally leads us to a question many of us ask, why does God let bad things happen to good people? When we see this suffering in our lives, we tend to have two very different responses to our suffering. First, you may believe that you deserve the suffering that you were in. You think you truly are a bad person and that God doesn't love you or couldn't love you. The sadness in your life is only a result of who you are and you truly think that God is out to get you. Going back to Kurt Vonnegut, you may agree when he once said that if there is a God, he sure hates people. For some here, this may not be as melodramatic as I'm creating it. You may say that you deserve pain, or you may not say you deserve pain, but you live as if you do. You think in a mindset of good creates good and bad creates bad. Our own culture tells us that if you are good, then good will happen to you, and if you are bad, then bad will happen to you. We want to see good triumph over evil, and we think in that mindset within our own lives. But that leads to our second response to suffering. When you face suffering in this life, you may not blame yourself. You may even think you're a pretty good person. You don't really cheat on your wives. You don't, you're not mean to your friends. You're actually a pretty cool guy in general. You tally up all the good that is in your life and you think it outweighs the bad and believe that being nice for some reason gives you a pass from suffering. You cannot imagine a world without your own happiness. But your hope doesn't seem to match that reality. Even when you think what makes you good, people just don't like you. And for some reason, this world doesn't seem to get how special you are. Psalm 88 breaks down every perception we have about our suffering. Everyone will suffer. There's an overused saying that you probably all could quote back to me right now, nothing is certain but death and taxes. But we can certainly add pain and suffering to that list. If you've come to be a Christian because you don't want to suffer, then you are in for one rotten surprise. But because we realize that suffering is inescapable, that naturally leads to the next portion in our scripture. Look at the second half of verse 9. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. 
I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? In response to his situation, the psalmist begins asking God questions. He wonders if there's any hope outside of this life or if the dead will even praise God one day. If life is this bad now, then is there any hope for another life? Does the psalmist have anything to look forward to? We all find ourselves asking these questions even today. If you're a Christian, you may look at your suffering now and you wonder, is Christianity really worth it? If life is bad now, how can I expect any good to happen? Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. There's a culture today that thinks that being a Christian will make your current life better. So when suffering comes, that can destroy the person's faith. Suffering brings about doubt, and doubt only brings about greater suffering. But does that make the problem worse? Or what should our response be to our doubting? For some Christians, they think that we are supposed to talk back to God, that we basically question him in the, almost in an irreverent tone. When you read this question that the psalmist brings, you may even feel that the writer is doing that that he's questioning the goodness and the promises that God will preserve him in the next life. But we ourselves, are we ourselves supposed to do the same thing? If you look closely at those questions, the psalmist never denies God's provision. Within these questions, even the psalmist is declaring that God has steadfast love for his people. It's not a question of if God has a promise of love, but if men will be around to celebrate it. For some here, you may be skeptical of these promises of God. If God is truly good, if he truly has steadfast love, why is life so painful? Why should you expect for eternity if this life is so bad? Our present reality seems so contradictory to this steadfast love of God. If eternity is anything like this world, then why would you even want to live forever? But we don't escape from this excruciating reality because we deny God's promises, because we are still trapped within our routine of pain. You look in your own life and you still can't make sense of why you're suffering. And your mantra may truly be, life stinks and then you die. The English romantic poet John Keats put it in his Ode to Melancholy, in the very temple of delight Veiled melancholy has her sovereign shrine, though seen of none save him whose strenuous tongue can burst joy's grape against his palate fine. His soul shall taste the sadness of her might and be among her cloudy trophies hung. So that's it. If you want to find hope in this life only, there's your answer. If you want to burst joy's grape like John Keats is saying here, then you just have to realize that at the center of your joy is depression, that suffering and pain go along with your happiness, that you just have to accept the sour grapes that come in your fruit basket of life. Do you see the problem here? 
Do you feel any better about your suffering? Does that really answer any of our questions? You are still trapped in the same circle and you're still spinning and you're spinning and you're spinning and you're spinning and all you want to do is get off. We aren't any better off than the psalmist asking these questions in Psalm 88. You're still left with more whys than hows. In reality, whether you're Christian or you're not a Christian, all of us live in Psalm 88. We're still crying out for relief from hurt and pain, but all we may hear back from is silence. We are trapped in the cyclical nature of life, alone, shunned, and desperate for any answer to our suffering. You may be sitting here right now, and you're feeling more confused than when you came. You may even say to yourself, John, the point of preaching is to answer our questions and not leave us with more questions. You may even say, this kid is only 24 years old, and, and I doubt he has any idea what even an adjustable rate mortgage is. So how can he even begin to answer my suffering? If you feel like you've been underwater, if you feel like you're looking for a moment to breathe and looking for answers, then here's your opportunity. Because we find all of our questions of suffering answered in the opening verses. Look at verse 1 with me. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Notice how the psalmist begins this. Despite his circumstances, despite his misery, despite his hopelessness, what do we see him call God? He doesn't call him his tormentor. He doesn't call him the one that's causing him pain. He calls him the God of his salvation. The very God that beats him down is the source of his salvation. I doubt many of you here look today for, to your tormentors for salvation, yet our God is no tormentor. He's not even ambivalent to the suffering that we face. God is the very source and initiator of our salvation to come. Look even further at the text and look at the psalmist's posture. He hasn't thrown his hands in air in defeat. He, has be, he hasn't become like Keats and said, this is the best I'm going to get, saying this is just all he can expect, he is on his knees, not as a spontaneous overflow of emotions, but day and night crying out to God for rescue. His posture is of helplessness and need, and it begins the whole psalm. His tone, his response, and question are all to the God that brings about his salvation. So that brings us back to our original question. What is the answer to our suffering. Because this psalm seems more like a light night confession rather than an answer to any pain or any suffering. And I have good news for all of you today. That is that I have no answer to your suffering. And if you're going to be honest with yourself today, you don't either. We find our own ways to cover depression. We find the best medication. We read the best self-help books. We find the best counselors and doctors and snake charmers that tell us what we want to hear, but in the end, we are no better than before we were depressed. Our answer 
is not in what I will tell you, and it's not even in what the world's going to tell you. Because in Psalm 88, we find the whole thrust of the passage found in the first verse, and that is that you will only find rescue to the, your suffering in crying to God who brings your salvation. Many of us today have an unwarranted expectation for life. You expect to be happy, you expect to be wealthy, and you expect to be wise and everything in between. The last thing you ever expected is pain. Yet Peter in the New Testament, in his first epistle, he tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We all will suffer, whether now or later. Suffering is the great equalizer for everyone, no matter your background or your religion. Stop being shocked and stop acting like suffering is such a foreign term for you. You may ask yourself, John, this is easy for you to say right now, but it doesn't do me any good. You still haven't answered my question of why I suffer. For the attentive listener, you may have remembered me asking, why do bad things happen to good people? Do you want to know the answer to your suffering? In fact, do you want to know the reason for every single moment of your hurt? Because many of us here act as if God has no idea what it's like to suffer, like he has no idea what it's like to live here on earth. Our reality is that we'd rather blame God for our situation than the sin that put us here. You see, the question of suffering is all wrong. It puts the blame on God rather than what we have done. We rather feel sorry for ourselves than cry to God for help. We rather put on a good face and then realize our situation. We rather think that we are not that bad than realize our desperate situation. We rather love our sin rather than any savior. We refuse to accept that suffering comes from man. But look at our final verses today in Psalm 88, beginning in verse 13, and you see God's answer to suffering. Look very closely with me. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like flood all the day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Or another way to put that is darkness is my only companion. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Does that remind you of anyone? Because who ultimately faced God's terror and wrath? Who was shunned and rejected by his companion? Who made darkness his only companion and lost everything so that you might gain everything? If you think that God has no idea what it means to suffer, then friends, let me introduce you to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who was beaten, mocked, hated, shunned, and died. How horrific. How grotesque. If there's anyone that has lived Psalm 88, Jesus, the very Son of God, has. 
who cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it's because of that cry and it's because that he died on the cross and came back that we can actually say with Hebrews chapter 4 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ is intimately involved in Psalm 88 because he himself lived it, but he did not live it in vain because he didn't die to set a moral example of how to handle our suffering, but he came as the rescuer from our suffering. Only through Christ can we ever escape the cyclical nature of Psalm 88. You may trust in yourself as the answer for your suffering. It doesn't matter, matter whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, trying to be a good person, or you think you're a terrible person. Because we all fail to meet any standard of what it means to be good. The beauty of Christ is that he doesn't just answer our suffering, but he answers our failings as well. We all fail to meet God's standard of good. In fact, without Christ's death, we deserve our suffering. You may continue to live as if you have the answers or that you are good enough. You continue to hide behind your mask, hide behind your niceties, and you put on a good face acting like nothing's wrong. You refuse to let anyone see who you truly are. I want to close this sermon today with a poem from Paul Dunbar. I know that you've already listened to Keats and you've reached your yearly limit of listening to poems, but... I think this accurately portrays what our facade looks like. And this is truly the best that you can expect from an English major. So please, listen carefully. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile. With torn and bleeding hearts we smile and mouth with meridian subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but O oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but O oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. You can keep faking it till you make it, and you can keep thinking you're good enough. You can hide behind your mask of self-sufficiency, but ultimately, Christ came to rip off your mask of sin and suffering and self-sufficiency, and he is so much more than an answer to our suffering because he died so that you might find forgiveness for your sins. If you continue to rely on yourself for salvation from your suffering, I urge you today to trust in the Savior who not only suffered for your suffering, but ultimately suffered so that you might find forgiveness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that ultimately you give us an answer to suffering. 
I pray for everyone here that has never trusted in Christ, that they might see that only through him, only because of what he has done, that we can ultimately have not just salvation from our suffering, but salvation from our sins. I thank you for everyone that listened today, and I pray that they will be able to go home today and not have this suffering, this pain, this torment control their lives, but ultimately lean on you as their rescuer for the day to come. I thank you for today, and I pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.